Welcome. You are listening to Conversations from Christ Church Cranbrook. We are a faith community located in Metro Detroit who have been transformed by God's acceptance, love, and grace. Whoever you are, wherever you find yourself on the journey of faith today, we pray this podcast will feed your soul and inspire your spirit. In the name of the loving, liberating, and life-giving God, amen. Earlier this year, we were offering a monthly book study using Professor A.J. Levine's book, The Difficult Words of Jesus, where she attempts to explain some of the more notoriously difficult Gospels. And it might not surprise you that today's Gospel was chapter one. And why not, right? Because here we have Jesus who calls us to love our neighbor, to love even our enemies, to love them as much as our very selves, to hate our family. Ironically, you know, the very people that for most of us, on a good day at least, we probably have the best shot of actually loving as much as ourselves. So as we try to make sense of this, let us take a look at the context. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and as he goes, he's exercised demons, he's healed the sick, he's cured the disabled, he's fed thousands, he even has raised the dead to life, twice. And so it shouldn't surprise us that by this point in the story, Jesus is drawing a crowd. In today's vernacular, Jesus is trending. Hashtag Jesus has hit the big time. (laughs) And like any celebrity can tell you, when you are trending, you tend to attract not just the true believers, but you get your fair share of, you know, curiosity seekers and those who are going along with the crowd to see what all the fuss is about. Paparazzi looking to get a photo, doubters looking to debunk the hype, on and on. And my guess is Jesus knows this. And so he's not really interested in drawing big crowds. He's interested, as he always is, in building disciples, a dedicated group who will not only continue to build on what he began, but to teach the next generation and the next and the next. And so it occurs to me that perhaps Jesus doesn't mind weeding out some of the uh, half-hearted looky-loos in the crowd by getting a little confrontational about what it means to really follow him. And as we all know by now, I think, Jesus is not above some hyperbole to get his point across, right? Have we forgotten the old, if your eye sins, pluck it out? If your hand sins, cut it off. Jesus is a master teacher who uses all the tools in the rhetorical toolbox, including an occasional intentional exaggeration, not meant to be taken literally, but to emphasize an underlying truth. Here, Jesus uses the word hate to vividly paint a picture about priorities and commitment. 
if you really want to follow me, if you really want to get in on this, this isn't going to be something you dip your toe in. It's not an occasional thing. It's not a social thing. It's not about networking. It's not a trend that you join in with to keep up with the neighbors. It's about putting God first. First in everything. Before even the things that we think are most precious. Jesus wants followers who are all in, just as he is all in with us. In the Gospel of Matthew, speaking to a smaller group, he makes the same point, but less dramatically. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These sayings aren't about loving anyone less, and they're certainly not about hating anyone more. Jesus is trying to make it crystal clear that following him means putting the way of Jesus first in our life, before everything and everyone else. In all that we do, in all that we have, in all that we are, what we need to hate or to reject in our life is the idea that there could ever be anything more important than God. Or put another way, Jesus wants to be as important in our life as we are in his. Let me say that again. Jesus wants to be as important in our life as each and every one of us is in his. So with all due respect to Professor Levine, I really don't hear this as a difficult teaching. I hear this as good news. In fact, it's some of the best news a weary soul could ever hear. And it gets better. You see, Jesus doesn't want to be first because he's needy. He doesn't want to be first because he's a jealous God. He wants to come first in our life because he knows it's what we need so that we might fully live. He knows it's how we move from hearing the gospel to actually experiencing it, to seeing it come alive in our life. Have you ever noticed that in your own? I know that on the rare occasions when I actually do manage to put God first in my life, in my relationship with my children, for example, it makes me a better dad. I become more compassionate, more patient. I become more present to their world and less absorbed by my own. When I put God first in my marriage, I become a better husband. I become more humble. I become a better listener. I become more grateful for the big things and countless little ones. When I put God first here at the church, I become a better colleague. 
I become more supportive, more encouraging of my coworkers. I think I become a little more fun to be around. <laughs> when I put God first in my relationship with money, I become less anxious. I become less worried. I become more willing to part with it and to share it. When I put God first in my relationship with my possessions, with my stuff, I become less identified with it. I become less attached to it. I become more willing to let it go and to put it in the service of others. And as we heard in our epistle today, putting God first, it can upend everything, allowing a slave to become a brother, allowing a thief to become a welcomed friend. And on it goes. When we put God first, it becomes a kind of catalyst for everything else. Our lives become more generous, more meaningful. Our corner of the world becomes more peaceful and more just. And I realize that, you know, putting God first, that can, that can sound a bit like a bumper sticker. You know, how do we do that? What does that really look like in real life? And I don't think there's any one formula. We all have different practices that can help. Certainly, work, weekly worship is a, is a good place to start. But I think most of us need something every day. In fact, probably throughout the day. For some, it might be joining morning prayer on our Zoom group each morning. For others, it's daily meditation, finding five or 10 minutes to just sit with God. For some, it's reading the Bible before going to bed each night or sharing that daily devotion that comes through our phone with our family over dinner. As a lawyer, I used to wear a cross under my shirt that I would trace with my fingers as I walked into court. Whatever you do to keep putting God first in your daily life. Double down on it. Get that habit going again. Remember what it was like when you had one. And do it in the most mundane moments. Don't wait for the big ones. Do it in the small ones. Put God first in your next trip to the gas station and see what happens. Say a prayer before a meeting with a client see how that changes the tone. Put God first in your morning walk and see what he shows you. The tradition tells us over and over, when we put God first, the Holy Spirit will turn the ordinary into absolutely extraordinary. Things open up, the blinders come off, and our world comes alive in a completely unexpected way. On this Labor Day weekend, I am reminded of a friend who worked at an automobile dealership who decided to put God first at work. He was in charge of inventory but felt God was calling him to care for his co-workers in a whole new way. He decided that during the week he would make a point to go around and check in personally 
with one employee every day. Kind of like the way a chaplain might make the rounds at a hospital. Nothing prying, just popping in the door, offering nothing more than some genuine curiosity about their life and a sympathetic ear when they had something to share. He soon found himself praying for their upcoming surgeries, rooting for their kids' big games, celebrating their anniversaries, and walking alongside them in life's challenges. The owners of the dealership eventually took notice, and after seeing the change in morale, they decided to create a new position for him called Corporate Chaplain. And then they expanded it and sent him around to all the dealerships they owned in the area. Putting God first at work, it didn't just change his relationship with his co-workers. It changed the whole culture of that dealership. It caused them to completely rearrange their priorities, and it changed his life. Jesus is asking us to do the same. He's asking us to totally reorder our lives, and he does so with no apology. Not because it's a price we have to pay, not because it's a burden that we have to bear, though it will seem like that at times. No. He does so because it's what we were created for. And Jesus knows that. He knows our malaise. He knows our boredom. He knows our hunger, our angst. He knows our fear about the future, our anxieties about money, our fear about relationships, our dread of being alone. He knows it all. And he knows as well that there's something deep within all of our souls, something unrelenting within us that aches for purpose and connection. Jesus is giving it to us straight today because he knows that our hearts cry out for something more, something that the world cannot give, something that we can only grasp by letting go and putting God first, first in our life as we are in his. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations at Christ Church Cranbrook. To learn more about our mission, worship services, and learning opportunities, please visit us at ChristChurchCranbrook.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at ChristChurchCranbrook. We look forward to you joining us again, and may God bless you now and always.